uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. It's a big, sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human-cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. Good luck. And villains. And aliens from a thousand worlds. travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we're going to take a little trip we're going to go back in time to the spring slash summer of 77 little movie called Star Wars hit 
400, maybe 500 screens nationwide. Straight away, let's kick it over to the chief. Bob, why don't you set the coordinates in the Wayback Machine for us? Well, yeah, we're going to head back to 1977. And the kind of whole concept of this episode was, okay, we're going to do Star Wars. We're going to do that first movie, Star Wars. But we'll do it as if nothing else existed. No Empire Strikes Back, no Ewoks, no Jar Jar Binks, no Grogu, nothing. None of that has ever happened. We're just in the groove of 1977 and how we kind of discovered Star Wars, saw the film, our impressions of it, first time we saw it. You know, what what did we end up doing that summer having to do with Star Wars? Things like that. So... Maybe there were conventions at the time that we were at. So um, let's go ahead and start that off. Who would like to to kick off with their Star Wars story? Well, Karen has a really, I think, interesting story because even though Star Wars came out in May of 77, I think Karen saw it in September of 78 by the time it got to (laughs) <laughs> it was about 1985. It wasn't that quite that late. It only felt that it was that late. Um, yeah, it it didn't come to my town. So I had mentioned before I lived in a small town in the Central Coast region of California. And so um, we didn't actually get it until July 6th. And I know that date because, well, and it's not showing up here on, on YouTube because I have my uh, virtual background up. But I have a flyer that w- was put up around town because for whatever reason, our our I guess we had two real movie theaters and a drive-in at that time. And uh, the movie theater that was going to get Star Wars, the UA Movies 3, which um, had only been built the year before in our brand spanking new mall, um, was going to get Star Wars, but they weren't going to get it until July 6th. And so um, I, of course, was already aware of it because I was reading Starlog, which was like our nerd internet at the time. That along with, you know, whatever else, Famous Monsters and whatever other magazines and and, um, other uh, sources of information we had. And so, you know, I'd been reading Starlog and getting little bits of information. And I was really excited about this movie. It was like, sounded like nothing we'd ever seen before and seeing little bits of artwork. And it was like, oh, boy, this thing's going to be great. And then the novel with pictures, there was this great, and I've got the book here at my side, um, the novelization came out and it had this wonderful center spread with all these pictures. And even then as a kid, I I forced myself not to read the novelization before I went to see the movie. But man, I looked at these pictures constantly until I saw the movie. And so I kept trying to persuade my older brother, Steve, I knew that Santa Barbara was showing it because I was able to call down to the theater in Santa Barbara, which was about an hour's drive away. And I said, Steve, you got to take us to go see this movie. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. He's like, what are you talking, Star Wars? What are you talking about? So 
uh, yeah, I wound up seeing it much later than everybody else. No, and and to add to my frustration, um, you know, once it came out, it was this huge hit, and so then it the guests, the stars of the show started appearing on like talk shows and things. And I remember distinctly since it was summer and I was out of school, um, like Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, I think the droids, probably Darth Vader were on, um, Regis Philbin's Los Angeles talk show. This was before he went national. This is pre Kathy Lee. Yeah, much much <laughs> earlier. I think he had a um, host named um, I don't know Susan somebody. But anyway, yeah. So they're on this talk show and they're talking about the show and they keep showing clips and I'm just like l slowly losing my little twelve year old mind um, because I, I've seen so many parts of the movie I can almost put it all together. But then eventually, yes, it came. I went with some of my friends. They liked it, but they weren't like their minds weren't completely blown like mine was. And they didn't keep going back over the summer. It was the first time I'd seen a movie repeatedly, um, which I'm sure you guys probably had a similar experience. So, yeah, I wound up having to wait for it. But I'm sure you guys being in a, a big metropolitan area got to see it right away. You know, it's funny because, yes. We're in a great metropolitan area, but <laughs> when I first saw it, I used to I used to bowl a lot, big bowler, and uh, so we were bowling in tournaments, and we were in a bowling tournament in Stockton, California, the weekend that Star Wars opened up, <clears throat> and we got there on a Friday, and uh, not much to do in Stockton, California. The tournament started Saturday. So we're like, hey, let's go see Star Wars. And uh, yeah, so we went to Star Wars at night, which is pretty much opening night. Although you don't have a big gala and a lot of hoopla stuff going on in Stockton. But we were able to see it before all our friends. And uh, we're just knocked off our seats amazed. Now, before that, though, I had heard of it because I I was going to... Star Trek conventions and sci-fi cons and things. And I want to say it was a space con or something similar. Creature Features host Bob Wilkins, our hero, he was the host of this particular convention and he brought the Star Wars trailer with him. Ooh. And he's like, oh, I got a brand new trailer to show you guys. First time ever, blah, 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 blah. And he showed that first initial Star Wars trailer and we were just like, our jaws dropped like, what is this? Because if you think about it now, let's put ourselves back into 1977. What was the big sci-fi film special effects extravaganza at the time? It was like 2001. Yeah. Now, we all love 2001, but... Some of us do. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like spaceships kind of floating through space and thing. But here in the trailer are like space aerial dogfights and battles and everything else. And, you know, the, that initial shot where you see the one ship fly over, and you think, oh, that's pretty cool. And then suddenly the big Star Destroyer or whatever comes flying over 
and just takes up the whole screen. And it's like, that's some pretty impressive stuff. And it's all shooting lasers and battles and everything else. So here it's like, suddenly you've got special effects on the same scale as 2001, but doing exciting things, yeah, battles and space and, yeah, for a, for me, I was like 17 at the time. So, yeah, but still, I was like blown out of my seat. Uh, you know, as I think about it, so I was born August of 68, May of 77. So I would have been eight going on nine. And I remember, yeah, no bowling for me. <laughs> But I remember staying up with my cousins and watching Bob Wilkins and Creature Features, and he'd show these these photos. In my mind, they're black and white. They might have been color, Bob. I don't know if you remember the detail. Yeah, well, I think they were like the black and white stills from. That's in my mind, and and Bob wouldn't really. Yeah, it could have been could have been lobby cards too, but he wouldn't really say, "Well, this is Darth Vader; these are the stormtroopers." He's like, "Here's this, you know, George Lucas is coming out with this movie, Star Wars, and you know, there were like um, an ice cream car parlor, and Benicia was going to have R two D two and C three PO, or Petaluma was going to have Darth Vader, and I would just watch, and I was fascinated. Um, I, I didn't see it." like straight away so it wasn't may maybe june july and like karen had said so these talk show, you know merv griffin you know on today's show we're gonna have buddy hackett dinosaur and r2d2 and c3po from the star wars movies like you know you're sitting through buddy hackett and dinosaur waiting for yeah um but you know up to that point we had star trek uh we had 2001 we had the planet of the apes Jaws was the huge summer blockbuster the year before. And I remember my bastard cousins taking me to see that and scaring the bejesus out of me. I couldn't go to the beach for years. Um, and then there was Star Wars. But you know what the, the big sci-fi thing on TV, though, at, up to that point was? Was Space 1999. Well, you're right. I was going to say, you know, so Star Trek, Space 1999. Then there was the reruns of... Um, Flash Gordon, uh, you know, Ultraman, well, Space the, Giants. The year before, and I remember this really well because I'd only started going to the movies by myself a couple years before this. Logan's Run came out in the in the theaters too, and and you know, despite whatever anybody wants to say about the effects or the miniatures or whatever, now it was a big budget movie. I mean, you at know, the time. It, yes. at the time it was, you know, but. Once Star Wars came out, it was just everything went to the side, you know. Yeah. And, you know, so Star Wars, like I said, there's there's only so many screens that, you know, movie screens in America at that time. And you'd stand in line at some of these screenings for hours to get inside to watch the movie. Yeah. I don't think I... Well, my grandmother was visiting from Greece and I needed an adult. I've told this story many times on the show. And so we jumped on the bus, <laughs> excuse me, jumped on the bus, went out to Piedmont in this little artsy theater that had a balcony and, and we watched the film and I, I, maybe we stood in line for a half hour, but I got my popcorn. I got my Coca-Cola 
And within the first 10 minutes, she falls asleep. I can hear her snoring after the ship flies over. But, you know, like I said, I was almost nine at that point. But I, I could swear I had some form of an orgasm when I saw that ship fly by. <laughs> it was Everybody. amazing. Yeah. Everybody, that that I think is the key, right? Is when that ship went overhead, you knew you were going to experience something you'd never experienced never, before. Ever. Well, the other cool before. thing too is Darth Vader's first appearance. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there are all these rays get shot everywhere. You know, and all of a sudden the doors open, and here comes Darth Vader with the breathing. The and it was just he was quite menacing he he was absolutely menacing um i remember right away the dialogue between the droids and and the banter going back and forth the sense of of distress you know it was so well laid out and and you know paced um you know, looking for the princess and, and you know, the, the stormtroopers, the lasers and everything and smoke. It was just, it blew my little mind. Like, <laughs> whoa. And that was the first, like, five minutes of the movie. Yeah. You know? Um, well, see, that's the thing, too, because a lot of movies before that would take a long time to build up and set the story and set the characters and build up. The Star Wars has hit you, boom, right from the first second the film started. And it's like. Right. And the other thing, you know, we'd be remiss. And, I, and we've talked about, you know, uh, the music before, but the music just so yeah. drew you in like a magnet. And, you know, guys, we should probably talk about the trailer. Bob, you kind of brought it up at oh, yeah. one of the space cons. Um, they used just classical music. And it was Orson Welles who who did the moderate of of the film, you know, a, a boy, a princess, a galaxy, you know, whatever. And it was, you know, dun, da, da, dun, 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 da, da, dun, which Ernie Facilius captured brilliantly in his parody Hardware Wars. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Um, but John Williams, ah, oh, that music, uh, you know, that's one of the first albums i got that wasn't like the beatles or or the stones you know it was just music um just brilliant yeah i had gotten star uh i'd gotten soundtrack stuff before that bond films and things ah. but um yeah no it was like a two record set with a black cover that just said star wars yeah and, uh, and that was the cool thing because you open it up and there's a bunch of color photos so yeah. You know, the other thing I had my mother, like, drive me all over looking for the story of Star Wars, which is, you know, it had an album with a little storybook in the middle. And I still have that. That did survive the purge of 2023, 2022. Anyway, um, but the film, um, like I say, we, we went to a theater where there was a balcony and you know, there was silence. You, you were so enthralled unless there was a big explosion or, and then, you know, applause. And that was the way to watch a movie. I mean, uh, so well, I'll much. tell you, you, know, you talk about balconies. 
the big thing around my area was to go into San Francisco and see it at the Coronet Theater. The Coronet was this huge theater on Van Ness. Um, I'm sorry, on Geary, off of Van Ness. And yeah, people would just line up around the block. And you get in there and it had a huge screen that was curved. Mm. Big curved screen. And if you bought seats in the balcony, which they called the loge, you saw got the loge seats. Those are the ones that like you could lean back and really yeah, comfort, kick back, watch the movie. In fact, that's the first theater that we saw uh, Close Encounters in. And when the big UFO comes over Devil's Mountain and it just it starts to turn and the music, the sound system there, the cornet, very, very impressive. But yeah, Star Wars was great there. And uh, but yeah, the, the music, you know, I think I think I've talked about this before, where, where movies now, uh, this is like a back in my day kind of story, but movies now, <laughs> the music doesn't really seem to be a big part of the film. It's there in yeah. the background or whatever, but it's not something where you're going to come out of the movie like, you know, walking out going, theme song or whatever it's just it's just kind of there to enhance things but you know in star wars the music was as big a character as any of the actors were yeah and i i think that kind of feeds into um differences in how people listen to and value music now as opposed to how we grew up with music um, I don't know if either of you guys ever watch or listen to this guy named Rick Beato, who's on YouTube. No. Um, you should check him out. He's a, a music producer and uh, he has a lot of interesting videos about um, he'll he'll talk about generational differences. But basically, like when we would listen, when we would get like a new album this is really dating us, but like, you know, we get these vinyl things that. Yeah. You, you would, you would listen to both sides. You would read the lyrics on the, you know, the liner notes and everything. And you'd, you'd really, you know, or you, you put music like we still, I still do this. I put music on in my car and I have to really like, Oh, what do I feel like listening to? And, and but when you talk to a lot of people who are, you know, in their 20s or younger, they're not all that focused on music as something that, you know, they really care about, like, listening to or artists or what. It's it's much more a consumable, and it's not something that they value the way that we do. It's it's just there and gone, kind of. So, well, you know, they, they do... They have favorite artists. They have, I look at Taylor Swift, right? Yeah. It, but, but they have their favorite artists. They have their favorite songs, but they're kind of disposable. Right. That's what so I mean. It's different it's, artists and a different song within a few months. It's consumables, but it's, yeah, it's not. I remember getting an album, even like Star Wars, and you put on the big old headphones. Your cans. Yep. Yeah. 
lay back and listen to it. You didn't have a phone to distract you. You didn't have anything, a computer, nothing. Mm -hmm. It's just put that on, lay back, and all you're doing is listening to the music. And at that point, every note, every chord resonates through your head, through your mind, through your body. Um, just try that, kids. Sometimes <laughs> just put on some headphones, lay back, close your eyes, and listen to music. And I think that's one of the things he mentions is that there's a lot of different things competing for their attention. And that if you watch them, they'll be like doing their homework, playing a game and listening to music and talking to someone. And just like their attention is divided in a lot of different ways. But yeah, I mean, Star Wars, I don't think it would be nearly as successful without the John Williams, you know, 50% of the success of the movie is probably due to the soundtrack. So now yeah, previous sure. to that, John Williams had done Jaws, which has that iconic da -da 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 yeah, music to it. And even before that, Johnny Williams, as he was known, did music yep. for Lost in Space. Right. And if you listen to those Lost in Space soundtracks, there are little bits and pieces in that music that made their way to Star Wars. Well, you know, um, and all that. Yeah, that's true. To this day, I've said this before, Jasmine believes Star Wars and the Superman March are one and the same. <laughs> and Indiana Jones too, throw that in there. <laughs> and so she had me, you know, listening to dun, 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 dun. Yeah. versus star wars dun, 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 change of but i i don't i don't see it but hey you know i think another thing that was so unique about watching star wars is the fact that it was like a lived-in universe mm -hmm. you know when when we get to like tatooine and you start seeing either like luke's home or mos eisley or, you know, when we get to the Millennium Falcon, everything has like a lived in feel like it's been around and you can tell that that these things are not brand spanking new that, you know, they've been used and handled and they all have like a story behind them. So it felt more real maybe than a lot of other sci fi universes we'd been in before where everything was sparkling and new and fresh. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with George Lucas. It's like even the spaceships, you know, they had to look worn and beaten and weathered. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, let's say, you know, spaceships before that looked like, like the Planet 8 rocket. You know, it's like they're all pretty clean and sleek. And, but you got like the Millennium Falcon and look at all the detail on that. And a lot of it was they build a ship. And then they go down to a local store and buy some model kits mm -hmm. and take some pieces from those model kits and just glue them all over the thing just to give it all this extra detail. And, well, and, and let's let's give uh, also some kudos to the special effects people. Oh. Up to that point, there were no special effects houses left, really. Uh, you know, so what did what did George do? He, he cobbled together a shop of of these like-minded individuals to create X-Wing and TIE Fighters and Death Stars and 
Um, you know, now there's there's, you know, all these digital uh, effects houses, but these were practical effects. You know, it, it to, to think that there was a land speeder on screen and I didn't know it was going around in a circle and it was on a, you know, boom lift or whatever. It's the damn land. And a couple speeder. guys, it wasn't even mechanical. It was a couple guys at the end of this big boom and they're like, Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it worked. And and the fact that he would you know, they, they'd use actual dogfight footage to to put the models to and and mimic those fights. So it just gave that realism to to the these spaceships that were fighting. Well, it's an amazing thing to think of how innovative they were. You know, a lot of those ships were on blue screen. Now it's green screen. For film, right. they would use the blue. Then for video and digital, they use green. But Back then, they'd have like a Millennium Falcon on a blue rod against a blue background. Mm -hmm. And then in order to make it, you know, let's say they have to do multiple takes. Back in the old days of effects, you had a spaceship that was like sliding down a wire or whatever, but they want they wanted these ships to turn and, cur and you know, bounce back and forth. So they actually developed computers that would do the same movement each time. So they could program the ship to, let's say, fly into the uh, into the camera, turn, and go towards the background. And in order to do multiple takes, the computer would make it do that same movement every single take. Mm. Whereas if you just had a guy moving it by hand or whatever. You know, there would be variations on each take. But, um, yeah, they were able to lock. And then even with um, the Death Star and the X-Wings flying down in the Death Star, they had cameras on rigs controlled by these motion computers that would do the same flyover every single time and be able to get right down into the trench or into the details of on the surface of the, of the uh, Death Star. Oh, yeah. And it just, it to this day, it looks great. You know, it, it's too bad George ended up tinkering with, you know, the special effects. But, um, you know. Well, that's one of the things, like, I, I, if I watch, well, we're still talking about 77, so I'm yeah. not going to go into all the changes. But the explosions were fine. I had no problems with the way the Death Star exploded originally. It exploded just fine. I didn't need like big rings of plasma shooting out. It was fine <laughs> the way it exploded. I had no problems. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, the details that he put in, that, that the all the artists put in, even like things like why does C-3PO have a silver colored um, cap. <laughs> right. And you know, there's some story there that like, oh, at one point he had an accident or something and they couldn't find the right part and they put this, but it's like, you know, it, it's just that kind of thing, that, that level of thought that they put into it that just made it seem like <clears throat> such a real world because things like that happen, you know, you know, breaks, oh, we don't have the part. Okay, let's just put this thing on. You know, they the thought interesting thing stuff. about that is I was watching one of the making of documentaries and in the movie, his right leg is the silver leg. 
but they had a shot of C-3PO and R2-D2 putting their feet into the cement at Groman's Chinese Theater. And the left leg was silver. <laughs> How did that happen? I don't know. But, um, yeah, and, you know, I was, like, I was looking at the film, and even, like, you're mentioning dirtying things up. C-3PO and R2-D2 have a lot of, like, oil and stuff on them. So it's not until the end of the movie where they clean them all up for the award ceremony and they're standing there on stage gleaming, and then you can really see that silver leg. Mm-hmm. But up to then, you know, you can if you know to look for it, you can see it. But if you don't know to look for it, then you don't even notice it until that final scene. True. And there was a lot of things, you know, Bob Wilkins loved robots. Robots, yeah. uh, robots, and one of the things I thought was was interesting, you know, and, and it's just little things, you know. Three PO was looking forward to taking a bath, you know, when he gets settled on the on the Skywalker farm. Um, you know, at one point they switch off to to rest, to sleep, to charge their batteries. I don't know, just interesting that those fine details through these characters that you know. T- to me, the the droids were more relatable sometimes than the humans in the film. <laughs> well, I mean, they were supposed to basically carry the film. Hmm. Um, you know, and I remember an interview with George Lucas after Star Wars. He was kind of hinting at sequels, and he was hinting that this was the first of a of a three part center of the whole series, whatever. But <clears throat> he had said that C-3PO and R2-D2 were the ones that would carry the story throughout. I would have loved to have been George Lucas sitting with his agent and the heads of Fox and, you know, the re- returns start coming in for Star Wars and they're like, well, George, we'd, we'd like to talk sequel with you. And you're like, well, no, I don't, don't want to do a sequel. And well, George, you're making millions of dollars. Well, I think I have two more films in me. I, I think I can. George, <laughs> I have two more potential. films, but but there are three films in the middle of nine films. Well, that's you know, George. <laughs> George, you can make billions of dollars. I have nine. I have nine films. I can do. <laughs> well, see, the interesting thing too, though, was when George Lucas was trying to sell Star Wars, and he wasn't having a big success trying to sell it. His final deal was that he wouldn't take much of a salary, but he would get merchandising rights. And at the time, you think about it, you know, maybe you had some, you know, like a Corgi Batmobile or you had, you know, some dinky Eagles from Space 1999. or I mean, well, you know, maybe you had some Mego dolls or something, you know, but... Uh, right. Planet of the Apes playset. I mean, mar- merchandise wasn't a big thing back then. So they're like, oh, you want merchandise? Yeah, here, take the merchandising rights, whatever. Right, and it didn't last long because, you know, if if you had, you know, the, the James Bond, you know, spy set, it was only good for, you know, from Russia with love. And then afterwards, you know, yeah, there's going to be another Bond movie or, you know, the Planet of the Apes stuff. You know, up to that point, I think there was more merchandise for, like, the Flintstones and, like, Spider-Man, you know, things of that nature. So he 
he really took a chance and and you know that they didn't expect star wars to do what it could do because the the initial play set of those four action figures that they sold for Christmas of 77, you basically got a piece of cardboard with the pictures of the action figures on it. And come the spring, you'd, you'd get the plastic figures. So they... That was, they a, that just, was a precursor to Mondo's, like, pre-sales. <laughs> oh, man. I mean... And look, it's the merchandising that built the we empire, are, so to speak. <laughs> well, even, like, have you guys watched uh, The Toys That Made Us? Yeah. Those specials, and they have one on Star Wars. Yeah. And they talk about Kenner, and Kenner started out in this little dinky, you know, like fourth floor of a skyscraper, you know, that like they had like a few offices, and then through Star Wars, they grew huge. But yeah, when they first started out, you know, they didn't have like a big factory. They had to basically farm everything out to China and get things done. And, that's why the way they had a big delay in trying to get these things out. Right. It's like, you know, oh, hey, this is a hit. George wants toys. What do we, what do, we do? Yeah, and they came up with a bunch of them. But I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I remember the Millennium Falcon making such a huge impression on me. Um, that was the ship. I mean, not taken away from the Y-Wings, the X-Wings, the TIE Fighters, Vader's TIE Fighter, and... And all that stuff, but it's almost like it was another character, you know. Um, it, it was just when I got that Millennium Falcon, I would sleep with it, and you know, the teddy bear lost his spot in the bed, and it was the Falcon. <laughs> I couldn't have been comfortable. <laughs> the damn radar dish kept breaking off. You know, love is not about comfort, Walker. So, <laughs> but. Um, the other thing was a lightsaber. Man, that thing was cool. I mean, it, you know, it, it was a light up piece of plastic. Well, you know, yeah, when you watch the making of stuff and it's like, oh, it was just, you know, some tape and we'd flash a light a certain way. And, but give it to Ben Burt for the sound effects for the, for the film as well, the the flying of the ships and the blasters and the lightsabers and, and R2-D2's ability to communicate emotion. You know, the, the Jawa scared the crap out of them when they jumped out and did the Utini, you know, and you hear, what? Oh. Uh, well, it's funny because they have these pictures like, you know, you can't hear a picture. And they'll show a photo of like a couple of TIE fighters. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You hear that. But in but now in your mind you're like, <laughs> um, one of the other cool things I thought too, um, when I went to the to the theater, they had this program that they sold. It was black and white, and there was like some pink pages in it to make the thing pop. Um, you know, I'm sorry. I, I had pictures set up and I lost them, so it's going to take me a minute to uh, to find them again. Uh, the program? Yeah, yeah. I don't have the actual program available, but I, I had. Um, I do in my stack here, so I'm like, oh. I think that program had some material that was in common with the insert in the novel too. It says, so yeah, I, I found watching... it. You're watching on YouTube. That 
That's it, buddy. It says uh, Princess Leia Organic, Carrie Fisher. Princess Leia, the very young, smarter or senator from Alderaan, has been using her political position to secretly gather information against the Empire. The strong-willed, intelligent princess has been a unifying force in bringing about the rebellion against the opposition of the powerful Galactic Empire. But Carrie Fisher was only on screen for a few minutes in her motion picture debut, Shampoo, but made a strong impression on critics and audiences as a seductive teenager who blatantly propositions Warren Beatty. Now, <laughs> I forgot about that film prior to this, and... You know, in, in reading this, it's like so funny. But yeah, that that program is awesome. If if I I suppose you can find it on eBay, but I highly recommend it if you're a collector. I I have mine framed, and it's locked away in a box in the garage somewhere. I had to do some. I'll I'll have some stuff for the sensor sweep. I had to do some some digging, find some stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> and when I was I was digging for one thing in particular, and while I was digging for that, it's like, ooh, I found this, and ooh, I found that. What? Oh, yeah. So, I uh, I had posted on Facebook, you know, that program, and some friends, Lon, made a comment. I saw Star Wars at the now-gone Coronet single-screen theater in San Francisco's Richmond district. Line wrapped around the block. That's a long sunset Richmond block probably a quarter mile long i was a bright three-year-old so i don't remember a whole lot of the experience yeah. i remember the line and loving the droids so thank you for that memory about that star wars line at the coronet is there are some photos of that floating around yeah. on the internet once in a while there was a chevron station next to the coronet oh and you see the sign with this gas prices from 1977 yeah and you know chevron's one of the higher priced gas stations 60 cents a gallon jeez back in real quickly another shout out to my friend brian miller he says i remember waiting in the long line in the hot summer sun outside the Raphael theater yeah um they had no air conditioning. They opened the back door and sometimes you could hear cars outside and light would leak in and chase around the dark theater. Um, Brian was 17 and he thought Carrie Fisher was the woman of all women of all women. Um, I don't know. It didn't know she was only 19 at the time and he was 17. So he thought, well, it's a match made in heaven. Uh, an older um, woman. Imagine that, a theater with no air conditioning, so they got to prop open the door. You wouldn't find that today. Oh, sure you would. Wow. You weren't at our Godzilla Night at the Bell Theater. <laughs> but it was 110 outside and probably 120 in the theater. Yeah. Larry, what about the time we went to see Baron Munchausen? <laughs> Which theater was that? That was in Berkeley, wasn't Berkeley, it? Berkeley, and they've since bulldozed it. I can't remember the name of it. Um, oh, my God. So the UC Berkeley Theater, the Shattuck? No, it wasn't the... Oh, maybe it was the Shattuck. Yeah, it wasn't the UC. It wasn't the California. It wasn't the UA. It might have been the Shattuck. And I almost passed out. I mean, I was sweating bullets in that he, Munchausen I, movie. I looked back at him at one point, and his eyes were rolling up in his head. His sweat was pouring off. Well, see, that still happens, though, because especially just after the pandemic, they wouldn't turn the air conditioning on because they wow. didn't want to circulate any germs. Jeez. And so there'd be no circulation in the theater. 
there's a, quite a few more modern films that I would just like doze off from this lack of oxygen. Uh, that's a good point. I'm happy to report Godzilla minus one had AC readily available. It was comfortable. <laughs> well, I wouldn't fall asleep during that heat. <laughs> you know, one of, the, films, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I also remember fondly right after the film came out was a lot of the the magazines were theorizing on things. Um, you know, they picked up on like the Clone Wars and there are all sorts of wild theories and I remember one being that Obi-Wan was a clone and his designation was Obi-Wan. Right. So he was the first. Yeah, like Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that Ben Kenobi was the source of Obi-Wan, Obi-2, Obi-3. There was just all sorts of uh craziness going on because nobody knew what any anything meant right so well was... and and think about it prior to star wars we all went to star trek conventions and, and have since and there was fan fiction some some of oh. it was erotica with uh, kirk and spock uh, oh my but oh yes <laughs> and so they they did the same thing with star wars there oh. there was no hint you have to understand for those of you that weren't alive in 77 this was it. This was this was the movie. It had a beginning, middle, and an end. That was the yes. entire universe. Yeah. Right. Yes, Vader was, you know, regaining control of his ship. Uh, we had no idea that there was more of an empire than the than the just the Death Star. We didn't know who the Emperor was. We we didn't know who the Emperor was. We did not know that Vader was Luke's father. No, no, no idea at all. Spoiler alert, kids! <laughs> the Empire, Empire Strikes Back, and that was a big shot because you had no clue in the first yeah. movie. Nothing is even hinted at. No, there's yeah. no, no except for you know Obi Wan saying you know that your your father was you know he kind of like there's a couple things in there, but nothing that would really lead you to believe that they're suddenly related. Right. I mean, just imagine you're watching Star Wars. There's no Yoda, so there's no Grogu. There's no Boba Fett, so there's no Mandalorian. Star Wars was it. And it was great. There was no Episode Four. There was no New Hope. There was no this. There was no that. Luke wasn't was just Leia's. They weren't brother and sister. Jabba the Hutt was not in the movie. No Jabba. We didn't know until Return of the Jedi what Jabba looked like. Right. And Han shot first. And Han shot first. Thank That's you, Bob. How you knew that he was not to be trifled with. He was a scoundrel. Yeah. He was. A, but, he was you know, a... I mean, you think you think about you know you're saying no new hope and all that. I saw there was a um, in one of the making of they showed how they made the crawl. At the beginning of the movie, mm -hmm. the, the whole story kind of like being recapped and it scrolls out into space. That was not like digital. It was not computer generated. It was not even, all it was was the words on a roll. And they 
laid it flat, shot it with the camera at an angle, and just cranked the roll. And it went, basically went away from the camera, and then they superimposed it over at Starfield. It's it's the same, I believe it's the same method they did with the scrolls for Buck Rogers, you know, yeah. the serials. Yeah, because if you watch Buck Rogers, it has the same scroll where it's like going off into the distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I say, it, it, it ended with Luke discovering the Force, using the Force, trusting the Force, and destroying the Death Star, Han coming to help him, you know, redeeming himself, and they all get their medals and end credits. Yep. And, you know, like Bob and Karen were saying, you know, you just watch the movie over and over and over and over and over again. Well, that's the question. No video. Huh? How many times did you guys see it in the theater in 1977? Me, theater once, drive-in three times. Mom and Dad, Uncle Gary, then my cousins. Yeah. I don't know how many times I, I went back um, to see it that summer, but it was at least once a week, if not more. I used to collect bottles. Wow. I would ride my bike around town and collect bottles and turn them in and get refunds. I think I got a a dollar or two dollar allowance every week. So I had to supplement so I could afford to go my my addiction. <laughs> so I would I would supplement with um turning in bottles and, and making money that way. So I was seeing it at least once a week, if not more than once a week. Awesome. For us, it was, you know, like I say, we were like 17, so, you know, we could drive, so we could go whenever we wanted, but um, there were two movies out that summer, Star Wars and The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh. So every Friday night, we'd get together and say, all right, what do you want to see, Star Wars or Spy Who Loved Me? And we kind of alternate. So I think we, saw, we ended up seeing Star Wars about 14 times that summer, but... At the end of summer, at the Redwood City Drive-In, they had a double feature, Star Wars and The Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> Boom! Two for one. He got a two for... That was kind of like the climax of the summer. I, I would. This is why it was so important that my mother take me to buy the, the story of Star Wars. I couldn't go back to the movies, but I could put that LP and just disintegrate the grooves out of that record from playing it over and over and over again. Friday night, after a long week in high school, <sighs> movies. <laughs> My friend Dave and I, you know, before Star Wars or after Star Wars or whatever, we'd always go to uh, either Redwood or Burlingame Drive-In every Friday night. And you'd have one screen that would have some horror sci-fi grindhouse film and the other another screen that would have like revenge of the cheerleaders or you know some something like that <laughs> and so we kind of like depending on what's playing hit one or the other but uh, yeah it was it was a cool summer i mean definitely and of course 
as you got the creation cons and all the different conventions that came up, they all wanted to center around Star Wars at that point. So, you know, it was easy to. Right. But of course, even then I'd go in there and go through the dealer's room and look for all the, the stacks here and there that would have Godzilla posters and stuff. But the Star Wars are still big. I, I remember, you know, so after Star Wars had its run, Miko, it was on the radio, came out with the Star Wars theme with all the electrical, you know, stuff in it. I remember listening to that on the radio. I also remember, because um, my mom was a big uh, Saturday Night Live fan, more so John Belushi's bits, but Bill Murray being a lounge singer. <laughs> and singing the Star Wars theme song and, and putting words to lyric. Oh, yeah. um, you know, so even though the film wasn't playing, it was it was in the consciousness yeah. of of the the world, really. You know, like we had said, the, the talk shows um, later on, Donnie and Marie, you know, there were variety shows that would start. Of hope and yeah. Yeah, but, but you know, we digress. Um, any closing thoughts on your Star Wars experience before we get into our censor sweep, which uh, Bob has quite a few things I, I understand to share. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, like I said, it was a great summer. It was just so cool to, you know, alternate between those two movies and yeah, everything on, you know, Bob Wilkins on creature features. He had a lot of the stars of the movie on, um, even if he didn't, he'd show the trailer. Yeah. Basically wore the sprocket holes out of it. Um, and so, yeah, you were kind of just, you think you're engulfed in star Wars now. Back then you were engulfed in star Wars, but it was when it was one movie. Lucky. Well, it was a heck of a thing, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was just so fresh, I think. And in some ways, because there wasn't all this other stuff around it. Um, yeah, it just felt more fresh and exciting. You know, it was something new at the time that we hadn't had before. And, um, and maybe also because, and I was pretty young at the time, but, you know, geez, we just had like Watergate, Vietnam, all this really heavy stuff going on. And and also, if you think about a lot of the movies coming out then, they were pretty dark films, and this is pretty lighthearted. So I think that also, you know, set it apart from a lot of other stuff that was coming out at the time. But well, for yeah. me, it was just, it just really like, for me, it just blew my mind because it was like nothing I had ever seen before, you know? And I, I loved Star Trek and I loved Planet of the Apes, but this was so like expansive, so much bigger than any of that. Well, even yeah. uh, George Lucas was pointing out when he was writing the film that, you know, at, at that point in cinema, sci-fi was all kind of dystopian futures and kind of bleak and you yeah. know, who knows where we're going to go, apocalyptic things. Plus all the films, whether it was, you know, French Connection or any you know, one of the, the cops, right? It's like all the, the villains and the heroes kind of were gray. They weren't black and white. 
it's like, you know, they all have facets to them where, you know, okay, this is a good guy, but he has a little evil in him, you know. And uh, so he wanted to do something where it's like, here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. There's no interpreting them. It's like, these are good, these are bad. And it was good versus evil with a optimistic outcome. And I think, he, I think people were ready for that at that point. He screwed it all up with Return of the Jedi by redeeming Darth Vader, but that's just <laughs> my two cents. <laughs> yeah, you know, all, planet, but he's a nice guy. Yeah, uh, I'll say, uh, you know, it's. I don't want to overstate it, but it is life changing. I mean, it made such a huge impression on me and and it's such a high form of entertainment very few films have have done what star wars did in my life um you know a, a part of my fandom you know was godzilla star trek and then along came star wars and there was always comic books superman spider-man of course um but this this was huge and it was gratifying for me as a fan to be able to go to a convention where David Prowse was signing or Peter Mayhew. And they were always just so like gentlemen and, and thankful for the fandom. And, you know, they would sign things and, and it was just really a, a great uh, experience after the film years later to be able to share that Um what the film, you know, meant. Well, plus, like, you did not have the internet. And I can't emphasize that more because when the movie came out and you thought, God, this is a great movie, there was no one on the internet to crap all over it, which happens now all the time. You'd, you'd have to go to yeah, the... I love this movie. And then you look on the internet and people are crapping all over all the details. Well, back then you'd go to the pinky on Sunday and take a look at what the reviews were in the newspaper. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. The... But they were critics and you could easily. Right. Right. From the critics. Like, Oh, this guy's a highbrow critic guy. A lot of critics didn't like sci-fi back then. Or yeah. It, it, it was the, the print form of rotten tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah. Um, okay, my friends, if if we're done with Star Wars and what an amazing film and summer that was, let's get into the censor suite portion of the show. Um, Bob, because you have probably the most. Karen, if you're not opposed, we'll have Bob go first, then Karen, and then yours truly. Take it away, Bob. Um, excuse me if you hear any sounds here, but... Right out here on Planet 8, the roof's about to blow off the headquarters, I think. A lot <laughs> of wind today. All right, so I'll kind of start with this. And a co my cousin clued me in on this. And I ended up getting it off of Amazon. And it is a nine-disc series. It's a radio drama of Star Wars done by the USC drama department hey bob let me just let listeners know if you're listening to this on podbean or spotify we're going to describe the things but those of you watching on youtube are going to see these things called pictures of <laughs> the items so look at this 
it's not a real exciting cover, but uh, this is about a five and a half hour drama. So there's obviously things in here that aren't in the movie, but this is based off of George Lucas's original script. And he allowed them to use music, sound effects from the film, and whatever scenes they wanted. So there's like extra scenes with Luke on Tatooine or him and his relationship with Biggs and things like that. So uh, if you really want to listen to Star Wars in an expanded version, this would be the thing to go with. And one cool thing is there's two voices from the movies. Mark Hamill reprised Luke Skywalker, and Anthony Daniels reprised C-3PO. Oh, and of course, R2-D2 reprised himself. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool listen. And then when I was digging for a certain magazine, I was also able to find the Marvel mm. Treasury Edition of Star Wars, the comic, there we are. If you look at nice. the you can see it. That's issue one. And then there was also an issue two. So those are there. I should pull the plastic off them and probably read them again and see. Uh, just they may disintegrate they when they touch air. Uh, and then back in back in the day, and I'll get these three, um, magazines would come out. There's Star Wars everything. So here's a magazine that was just called Star Wars. Hmm. There's a couple stormtroopers on the cover, and it's got uh, heroes and villains, birth of a legend, gigantic poster inside, whole uh, featuring R2-D2 and C-3PO. And then you've got the uh, fantasy film journal, and this is issue one. I think it was probably issue one and only. But you have, of course, Star Wars issue. Star Wars on the cover. Yeah, one and done. But, uh, yeah, so Fantasy Film Journal number one. And then there was also, I think there was a Star Wars, like a comic in the papers or something, but this came out as Star Wars Weekly, which is a comic. And it's... Uh, it's all black and white inside, but uh, it's not quite as splashy as the Marvel edition. Um, and then here, we always used to joke about famous monsters when Star Wars came out. So you see this magazine here, it's called Star Wars Spectacular. And if you look up, really up here in the corner in the small print, it says Famous Monsters. So Famous Monsters magazine was like, plastering Star Wars all over the cover, and then you see this little Famous Monsters logo in the corner somewhere. Um, and then this last magazine is the one I'm particularly proud of, and this is the one I had to go digging for. This is the first magazine that had anything about Star Wars in it, and it was American Cinematographer. Mm. And uh, they did a whole, I mean, this is like an in-depth, if you want to know about the special effects of the first Star Wars, Try to find American cinematographer, and uh, I can't see uh, the July 1977 issue. One dollar, just one dollar. Wow. Uh, if you find it, I doubt if it'll be a dollar, but uh, <laughs> it was very cool. And then, that lastly, cool. 
I showed the program book earlier, so I'll show that again. But there was a uh, a cinema shop type store in Burlingame by where I lived. And uh, they had movie posters and stills and everything else. So when Star Wars came out, they had a Star Wars trivia contest, like 10 questions. And of course, Star Wars was just that movie. So it was 10 questions on just the original Star Wars movie. And I ended up winning the original one sheet from the film. There was a type A, type B, type C one sheet. One I got was the type A. So for seeing condition, I can either sell it for a bunch of money or frame it. I should do one of the two. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Star Wars. Yeah, that was mainly, you know, before the toys started coming out after Christmas. Was pretty much grabbing magazines and whatever you could find, maybe some lobby cards or stills or things. Nice, very nice. Walkie, what do you got for us, buddy? Well, not not nearly that much. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anything will show up here. So I got Starlog. my Starlog, and it disappeared. Which just disappeared. Yes. So Starlog Six has a mention of Star Wars, and then. Starlog 7, which you still can't see, <laughs> has has a whole big section on Star Wars. And then Star Wars novel. Oh, nice. Right there, which this is the same one I had as a kid, which I did not read until after I saw the movie. Um, but it has all the pictures inside that talk about the film and show all the characters and stuff. So Nice. Yeah, so that was kind of my materials. Plus, you know what I wish I could find is I used to have this magazine that was like, I don't know, it was looked like some one shot that was like spectacular Star Wars or something. Um, I don't know if I still have it and I can't find it, but that was a really nice chock full of pictures magazine. But anyway, I'm passing. Yeah, it, was, it was funny when I was looking for all of these, I did find a bunch of magazines that were like, Space Wars and Star Battles, you know, it was all these kind of knockoff Star Wars type magazines. Battle Beyond the Stars. May the Schwartz be with you. Anyway. Um, marching to the beat of my own drum. I don't have a Star Wars uh, item <laughs> to start off with, but... Uh, a cool thrift store find, San Francisco, San Francisco, the Enchanted World of San Francisco, 45 record. <laughs> now, this record comes from a ride through, kind of like at Disneyland, like going through Peter Pan or Mr. Toad. And you'd get on this cable car and these animatronic, uh, you know, they take you through Chinatown. They take you through the World uh, Fair. And Sid Marty Croft helped create these animatronics. And they'd sing like San Francisco, whatever. Um, fond memories as a child. And there's very little information on the Internet about this, uh, you know, enchanted world of San Francisco, Bob. I don't know if you remember. It was in the old Ghirardelli building in San Francisco, and you, you know, by the by the uh, wax museum. You, yeah, you remember it? Okay. I was there not too long ago, and we had Linda Miller as a guest at uh, Godzilla Fest. We had to stop at Ghirardelli so she could get some chocolate. 
Okay, very good. Now, for Star Wars, the good folks at Toshin, and my friends, this is more of an investment than a, oh, than a, a coffee table. Bear got, with me. It's about 40 pounds. <clears throat> I got the little version of that. Oh, God bless you. Um, when Larry does something, Larry goes big. Hey, you know, these big hands can't can't read little books. Um, they had a 50% off sale. And so how could you avoid 50% off? Anyway, I can't show you a lot because it's heavy. But man, oh man, they have a ton of stuff in this book and i posted some of it on facebook um you know the banthas were elephants and the elephants were from marine world we forgot to talk about that bob right. yeah. they they had the costumes set up and um as you look at these pictures you think the poor elephants you know but anyway that book is an investment and um you know if you get a chance to, I highly recommend it. Now, this is going to be the last time your mission commander is going to be podcasting from the mobile mobile command. We're going to start packing things up and putting them away. We want to thank you guys for all the support. But the house is ready. We're going to start moving back into the house after the fire. Going to start packing away all these wonderful little trinkets. Hey, need to have your tricorder, okay, kids? <laughs> and of course, books. There's books and books of books. So especially want to thank Bob and Karen for you know, the best of episodes when we first moved in here to the rental. Thank you, listeners. I've gotten cards and letters and, and collectibles. You guys have sent me stuff to rebuild a collection. I appreciate you all. Uh, appreciate my podcast mates. I think this is the end of this episode. Uh, any any last minute thoughts or comments, guys? May the oh, force be with you. I got that uh, Space 1999 DVD set next time we have lunch. So. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, may the force be with, with all of you. And who knows, in a year or two, we may talk about this film called The Empire Strikes Back. And even it was when, a sequel. Even when it came out, it was not Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. It was The Empire Strikes Back, as it should be. Take care of you guys. Stay safe until we meet again. Planet 8, we're signing off. Peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is.
is the end. Oh.